Hello and welcome to What Our Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week and decide what our point, or if in fact there are no point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to submit any questions. Today it is Tuesday, December 1st, and I have Dan and then Nick. Hello. Howdy. And then Remy Gikel, the our resident investment advisor and just general French liaison to the show. Hi, everyone. So it's been a long time since you've joined us, Remy. What are your thoughts on the election and how it's played out from like a market perspective? It seems like the markets are pro a divided government. It has been a Christmas uh you know, two months earlier than usual. Um, it's just a, a great result for everyone. Um, really, in October, there were a concern about riots due to the elections and concern uh, with a significant tax increase and change in regulation. And we, we didn't get any of that. Biden, it's a clear positive uh, that uh, has avoided uh, any riots. And for the stock market, a divided Senate, it's just great. Nothing will be done. Just capitalism uh, will keep uh, pushing forward. Rates will most likely uh, remain low. Yellen has a secretary uh, of the Treasury. It's really a pro-market appointment. So that has been uh, also a positive. So the, the market has been flying. In November, it has been one of the best months ever on record. So really, it has been a, a clear a positive across uh, across the board. No tax increase for companies, no more uh, Trump uh, on TV, uh, I suppose. And also uh, for uh, all the, the shareholders uh, and all the people saving in the 401k. It's just been a more... Uh, more income, uh, more income building. So very positive. So he just named more of his economic cabinet today. He named... Janet Yellen, who is seems like a moderate pick. Dan, you weren't here when we've discussed her. She's a labor economist, but I also know she's like extremely pro free trade. So I'm sure she's not um, the like super liberal side of the party. Is probably not too happy about her. What what's your takeaway, Dan? Well, I think everyone thinks she's maybe the most brilliant female economist the, alive, right? She's been had multiple huge economic jobs they're saying there's this phrase in the la kind of music acting industry called egot when he win all of the awards an emmy a granny emmy a grammy an oscar and a tony and they're saying that she has done the econ equivalent of that by being the head of the c the chair of economic advisors under president clinton under president obama she was the fed chair and now she'll be the treasury secretary so could not be someone who's more experienced which i think is probably good because we're Still in an economic crisis, so I think I think she's a good compromise choice that should sail through confirmation. Got it. Do you think that there's going to be a lot of confirmation hangups? Nick earlier said that he thought that there would be a honeymoon period, but there's also it seems like I heard uh, after the announcement of Nira Tandon, she's going to be hotly contested. Are there any other ones that are not going to sail through? Well, it depends. I mean, I think we, you know. We obviously have a Republican Party that has uh, both no spine and is the most, you know, aggrieved party in the history of the world. It's very interesting that multiple senators have commented on Neer Tandon's Twitter habits when they didn't read Twitter the entire time Trump was tweeting, which is just like comically amazing. Or that uh, Senator Grassley said he needed to see uh, Janet Yellen's tax returns before he could say if he supported her or not, while 
President Trump is still hiding his tax cheating returns. So I don't I don't think anyone's going to be smooth sailing because you can't count on any of the Republican Party. But these are all exceptionally experienced nominees. Um, one of the Trump nominee strategies from his first term was nominate someone who wants to destroy the department. So he nominated Betsy DeVos, who to be secretary of education, who wanted to end public education. Um, he nominated Scott Pruitt to be the head of the EPA, who wanted to stop environmental re- protection regulation. He nominated, who else? Uh, ben Carson to HUD, who didn't know what HUD did in his confirmation interview. Uh, it's kind so of like a Zen approach it. to government. It's like, do... It, do, it do. is, right? It's a Zen, yeah, blow it up approach. Um, and so Biden has kind of taken the other tact of let's find people who are very accomplished and well-respected who've sailed through confirmation before um, and put them in the government because we're at a time of national crisis. Well, so do you think, um, going back to Remy's points about how there's not going to be that much change... Is Biden going to implement? I know, like, there's going to be some increases. There's a lot of talk about the taxes going up for people making over four hundred thousand dollars. I think isn't he going to raise corporate taxes a little bit from like twenty-one to twenty-eight percent? No, that's not in his plans. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if anything of that's going to happen because you know we have it. Well, we've unclear. We might have a divided government. We might have the Democrats have a slim majority at fifty-fifty. Um, so we'll see. But I think a lot of it depends on who actually wins the Georgia runoffs. If the Democrats win, then yeah, there's definitely chances that taxes will go up on the wealthy and corporations. If they don't win, then who knows? Or do you agree that in a, even if it's 51-49, it will be complicated for uh, the Democrats really to push, uh, uh, I would say, relatively hard on, on, on taxes? Would, would you agree with this? Like the to increase from 29 to 28 or the 400 uh, more taxes above 400,000 k per year. Would they be able to to pass to pass this with only one seat uh, majority? I think so. But what I mean, what about know. Joe Manchin? What about Joe Manchin? I think Joe Manchin would be fine with raising corporate taxes. I mean, mm-hmm. Joe Manchin, I think, is an economic populist, right? So if we're gonna tax the rich to provide services to the poor, theoretically, people like Josh Hawley would support that too. Except there's like fine print for it for populism, which says I support populism for corporations. And so, what do you think the? Uh, I thought it was interesting today. I think I, or maybe it was yesterday that Senator Hawley was giving Biden a hard time for nominating. I think he said corporatists and warmongers. And so the big debate was: Does Jan is Janet Yellen a corporatist because she's only had like public government jobs her entire life? or a warmonger as treasury secretary. It was uh, unclear from which side that, uh, that Yellen fell. Yeah, a lot of Biden's picks have felt very tailored to not rock the boat at all, to just allow things to, to, to make it as, as easy as possible to let these things happen. Yet Trump keeps, you know, making it as difficult as possible all the time. And now the, uh, I think he's still planning to go to Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. I think there's still the th- yeah. the battlegrounds turning toward there. And then he's also uh, pardoning people now. It seems like every day there's new talk of different pardons. I just heard the story that someone is being investigated for trying to sell a pardon. And so it's sort of reminded me of Rob Blagojevich. Who Trump 
pardoned, which is just, it all comes full circle, right? He's Rob Boglovich. I heard he might he pardon is, uh, Joe Exotic, which would be pretty I've heard, right, the rumors are Rudy is asking for a pardon because Rudy knows that he has done so many bad things. Trump's family have asked him for preemptive pardons because they know that they're probably going to jail. And uh, and yes, people are trying to buy pardons from Trump, which is not illegal, it seems like. No. Well, I have a legal question is how do you how do you pardon someone who hasn't fully been indicted or under like under investigation? It's convicted. Right. Well, Rudy Giuliani is under investigation by the um, in New York City, by the Southern District of New York, I think, is has an investigation open and his two of his former colleagues are under indictment. And so the oh, thought is this. that Rudy is right. That Rudy is uh, is next. And so, I mean, the president is an unindicted co-conspirator with Michael Cohen for campaign finance fraud and is investigated, being investigated for tax fraud. So it's going to be very interesting to see uh, to see what happens. But I think pardon gate is going to be quite the scene over the next 50 days. So my question is, how how is it possible that is would be legal to sell a pardon? So the only person who has pardon power is the president. There are no restrictions on the pardon power. It's an absolute power given to the president. So if he wants to take money and then pardon someone, there's no law that can restrict him from doing that. I, I would say that is should be against the spirit of the Constitution, but the current Supreme Court, I think, would probably say that Nowhere in the Constitution does it do the words appear. You cannot sell a pardon, and therefore the president has the power to sell a pardon. Can he so. sell like a future pardon, like a Mad Lib style, or like an IOU, like IOU right. pardon for blank? Fill in. It has to be offenses that were committed before the date of the pardon. You can't future pardon someone. You can do what they call a preemptive pardon, so before someone's charged. But the offense has to already have occurred. So we're going to definitely have some constitutional. So another interesting question that I think is not on people's radars. Trump is going to probably pardon himself for his New York state tax fraud. And the ultimate debate is, can a president pardon themselves from a state crime? Now, there is a legal theory that says when the pardon power was written into the Constitution, there are no federal crimes. Federal crimes are really only a late 19th century, mid to late 19th century, and in particular, a 20th century phenomenon, that there are so many federal crimes. But at the founding, there weren't really federal crimes. And so was the pardon power meant to reach down to the states and actually pardon someone from a state offense so he could get off from all of his tax crimes? Or the fact that Mar-a-Lago is not a legal residence, and yet he is living there. He committed voting fraud in the 2020 election, which I think is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. That Mar-a-Lago is not a legal residence, and that is where he is registered to vote. Right. I mean, he seems to count. I mean, uh, commit fraud pretty brazenly. They Some of the state fraud allegations are him just writing notes saying, pay check to person from Trump charitable account, like trust. It's amazing. Right. Or I think there's some that has come up that he paid Ivanka 
for her brilliant mind, you know, tens of millions of dollars in consulting fees to the Trump organization and then deducted it from his taxes as a business expense, as opposed to just like putting her on the Trump payroll. It's it's almost uh, as good as uh, the get out uh, prison card uh, in Monopoly. Right. Extending the part of part. Yeah. So we'll 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 see. I'm uh, fully expecting that Trump will pardon himself. There is technically a world in which to be safer, he resigns 10 minutes before the inauguration. Mike Pence is the 46th president is sworn in and pardons Donald Trump so that then he does have an absolute pardon, which would be kind of funny because it would mess up all of Joe Biden's merchandise, which say that would be, you know, number 46. That would be wild. And is that, do you see him going away to Mar-a-Lago and just never coming back? Or how, how is the transition functionally going to happen? No, so I think there's uh, strong rumors that he is going to announce his candidacy for president in 2024 while Joe Biden is giving his speech that Trump is not going to go to the inauguration and he is going to hold a rally announcing that he is running for president in a rematch. Wow. And he's been fundraising for a, a political action committee to fund his post-election events. So they've already raised over $100 million for that effort. So he is ready to go. And then there's so other talks that he's going to buy a Newsmax and start his own TV station to help him secure the 2024 nomination and be elected. Remy, do you think um, a transnational example of someone like Trump is the Le Pen family? Like the father became famous and then the daughter rose up and took over? Well, it seems that it's what they are trying to do. They are trying to position themselves to create a, a politician a dynasty. And in fact, it's something that is uh, significantly more popular in the U.S. than in, uh, in Europe. In Europe, it has been uh, really the case. Um, really try to think about the past 50 years. So I, I do believe that it's possible, and that's why his exit is very critical to uh, succeed his exit for uh, the, the people who trust him or, or voting for him. So I'm not really, uh, I was not aware of uh, the possibility to announce uh, his candidacy for 2024, but marketing-wise, it, it's just uh, marvelous. I think similar to the Le Pens in France, the polls have come out that said if Donald Trump doesn't run for election in 2024, that Donald Trump Jr. is polling near the top of the field and so would be one of the prohibitive favorites to be the 2024 nominee. So you could have the most likely outcomes are Joe Biden versus Donald Trump or Joe Biden versus Donald Trump Jr. or Kamala Harris should versus be, Donald Trump. It be too early to see uh, Ivana Trump uh, versus uh, Cheryl. I think it's Sherry Clinton. No, what's uh, what the name of uh, the Clinton daughter? Yeah, I don't Chelsea. think she's going to run for public office. Chelsea seems like she's done with that. How much of the Biden energy plan is going to be um, instituted? It seems like that he's going to try to rejoin the Paris Accords. How much of that is going to be held up in Congress? And how much of that, I mean, tying into the stock market question, it seems like the electric vehicle market is going bonkers. I was going to ask specifically about some Chinese electric vehicle stocks that are all really taking off. And then you have in Europe, it seems like it's just an inevitable march toward energy efficiency and, and green energy. I, I was surprised to see how in Britain they're 
they're saying that diesel cars have to be off the road in like 2030 or something like that. So I guess, Remy, what do you, th- how do you feel about um, the progress of the electric vehicle market and green energy? And then Dan, I guess, how much are both of you, how much of that is practical for Biden if the if, if he doesn't have control of the Senate and the House? I find it to be a very exciting time. And also it's a priority for countries like China or continents like Europe to become more uh, independent in terms of uh, energy. It's significantly, uh, it's a priority for, for China and Europe to um, consume uh, less gas and less uh, uh, oil. And so when you have to shift your uh, fleet to electric vehicles generated with renewables, uh, wind and solar, that would be a significant progress uh, for those different uh, companies, similar to the U.S. uh, push with uh, fracking over the past 10, 15 years in order to uh, rely less and less in in the Middle East. So it will happen sooner than expected and most likely you see those stocks popping up uh, popping up right now because there is more and more shatter than a government with subsidize uh, will significantly increase subsidies for EV uh, for electrical uh, vehicles and that, that's again it's it's great I think it's great for for the planet uh, it's great for the for the drivers it's great also for labor it means uh, a lot of uh, I would say a blue-collar uh, job that will be uh, created uh, with this uh, new uh, with this new uh, innovation. So that's uh, that's clearly a positive. It will happen, and it will happen uh, faster than anyone expected, even like three years ago. Then we could discuss who uh, will benefit the most in, in the stock market, and I think that is significantly more complicated to to answer. Um, they are, from my point of view, uh, bubbles. Um, U.S. and the Chinese will most likely lead uh, the way uh, with partnership with European uh, OEMs. So it's hard to say how to make money as of today with EV after such a significant increase in valuation among many players that will, I mean, a lot of them will, will just uh, disappear. You saw that with low-cost carrier in Asia 20 years ago. You had like 30 low-cost carriers, and now there are only a, a handful of them. Um, but it's very exciting time. Interesting. So, I mean, the three that I keep reading about are Xpeng, Neo, and Li Auto. And are those are those just so profitable right now because? They are trading on American stock markets, but they're Chinese companies, and China is also subsidizing internally a lot of this vehicle production. Uh, my understanding is it's more speculative. China has a competitive advantage with the battery, similar to, to Tesla, and uh, electrical vehicles are easier to manufacture compared to uh, IC, uh, the combustible uh, engine vehicles. So they will become a, a number two or number one. Is, is it, will it be one of the three you mentioned or will the company merge? It, it's very hard uh, to say, but for sure the uh, auto market in China uh, from a manufacturing point of view will, will expand 
significantly. Um, so I would not be surprised if we I don't know, speak uh, in five years down the road and two out of the three you mentioned have disappeared, either uh, fell into bankruptcy or, or just uh, uh, bought out by, by the, the biggest one. Um, but there will be, they will be able to create a national champion in China. They did it multiple times. Uh, they did it in, in train. They did it in, in cement. And it will happen again in uh, auto manufacturing. I will say, having just gotten a Tesla, it's awesome. Electric cars of the future. Of course you got a Tesla. Of course Dan got a Tesla. It's very Californian. Are you going to get a Tesla, Nick? No. I drive a Lincoln. <laughs> Proudly assembled in Hermosillo, Mexico with South Korean transition. It's a NAFTA car. Because it's fascinating. Tesla is not about uh, manufacturing cars. When you have a market cap of 500 billion, it's just more than that. Uh, so the thought process here is saying that the handset industry, if you remember the Sony, Motorola, uh, Nokia uh, phones, were not a very profitable uh, market with a lot of uh, change in market share. And Apple uh, came up and completely revolutionized, right? Uh, it was a significant revolution. Uh, with the iPhone, and the iPhone is not just a phone, right? It just became uh, something uh, completely uh, uh, unique uh, with an ecosystem uh, where you could watch TV, right? It just became like a 10 different uh, uh, objects in, in, in one. And here with Tesla, uh, valued at 500 billion, it's what the market is telling us, that um, the automotive industry has been pretty crappy over the past uh, 10 years, not able to create value. And what the market tells you is like Tesla will have like 50, 60, 70% market share in a new business that will be about around mobility. Um, and it will be uh, something completely new. Now you will be able to work in your car. You will be able to watch TV in your car. It means that you will be able to, to watch uh, advertising in your car will just uh, become a new a new thing that will just completely change the way how we 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 move uh, kids will be able to go to uh, to school on their own uh, through a uh, uh, tesla if you try to think 10 15 years uh, down the road so that what i found to be the most exciting part of the tesla story it's not really the steel it's not really about manufacturing uh, steel it's all the software and the services, the new services that it's hard to imagine uh, as of today that, that will be, uh, I would say, part of our daily life in, in 15, uh, 15, 20 years down the road. Couldn't agree more. You all clearly both have Tesla stock. <laughs> They're good cars. I mean, to Elon Musk's credit, he, he, he's a you know visionary. All right, Dan can vouch for that. It's smooth, but the other thing is that when you touch the gas, it just explodes. It's the fastest acceleration I've ever been in in a car because it's instantaneous. It doesn't have to like blow up things in the engine. It just goes electricity to the motors and just flies. Sounds pretty nifty. How comfortable is the seat? Comfortable seat? I'm all about how I bet the Lincoln has a really good seat. Uh, yeah, they're they're good cars. It's uh, my wife has a Subaru Forester, which is also a sturdy car, but. Yeah, tes- Teslas are, um, they've come a long way since the Roadster. The Roadster, I remember, was like a rebadged, uh, what was the name of this British company called Ellipse, maybe? Lo- was that the name of the British company? Or Lotus. Lotus made Lotus. some type of 
yeah, Lotus was the company, but they made some rebadged Lotus, which wasn't very good and didn't have much range. But this is like 15 years ago. All right. So, Dan, the last thing I really wanted to ask is what are how, how are the changes in Georgia building up? Does it look good or bad? And also, I, I always hear things like you can help by sending people postcards or phone banking. I'm just I've always been skeptical how much if there's like a saturation level and if like. Whatever's going to happen is already going to happen. I think things are looking decent. I, I do think personal outreach is probably the biggest thing that moves the needle in getting someone to vote. So, yeah, sending someone a letter, sending someone a postcard, someone sent, calling someone, that makes a huge difference. So that's definitely a big part of the, the way to get there. I think it's going to be all about the turnout. The, you know, the election on November 3rd in Georgia was basically a tie. And so whoever gets people to turn out i assume it'd be a lot less people overall to turn out so it's just getting more of your side to turn out and then you win got it so those postcards do work i just wonder if it there's not somebody who gets a postcard and it's like uh i hate these people so much now i'm gonna spitefully vote the opposite way of what they i expect they want no nobody nobody thinks that's the case i just feel like we live in a really spiteful culture i have a question for you new yorkers how is the loffler i mean so the Loeffler Doug Collins race, Loeffler um, Warnock Doug Collins race, that was a three way. It seemed like so Loeffler got a third almost, a little the most, and then Doug Collins got a third, and then Warnock got a third. So are they anticipating like a shift? Because I don't presume, I presume that no Doug Collins voter is going to vote for Warnock, right? I mean, they're more extreme, they're more conservative than Loeffler. Right. So I think it was the. Collins plus Loeffler, I think, was 55% or something like that. And then Warnock had, was second, obviously, ahead of Collins. So unclear how the votes will shift out. Were some people voting for Loeffler because they didn't want Doug Collins to get into the runoff? And so they might actually shift to Warnock now? Are some people going to switch from Collins to just not voting? And so then his percent goes down? So I think that's the... No one really knows what's going to happen. Runoffs are weird. People have weird preferences of like first versus second strategic voting. The Loeffler Collins was a pretty nasty primary. So I feel like you could definitely see a lot of people not switching from Collins to Loeffler and just not voting. And then Warnock picking up some of the other Democratic vote. Nick, you said runoffs are French. Is that true? Well, they, they do like second tour in France. I mean, Remy would know more about this, but it's they do do this sort of whoever gets 50%. Um, I guess if you get 50%, there's no runoff. But if you don't get 50%, there is a runoff. Uh, but it, it is frequent in France. Yes, it's very... Uh, it, it happens at every every election. Um, more often, uh, you have either like uh, two, three, or four candidates in a runoff. So you need a minimum. Uh, and uh, obviously, uh, you, you need... Uh, it's up to 50%. Um, Unfortunately, those systems weaken uh, democracies uh, over time. That's, from my point of view, one of the strengths of the U.S. is you have a, a duopoly in terms of uh, political parties that uh, allow you to have a, a clear, uh, uh, a clear, uh, I would say, uh, uh, winners uh, all, all the time, and you don't have a lot of varieties. A culture like France, when you have a lot of parties and then you have a run-up, uh, unfortunately, create a lot of volatility 
and uh, allow extreme parties to access to power more more easily. See, it, it feels like the U.S. needs to go a little bit that direction, though, because having a duopoly just leaves it so that the people that are already... There's a, there's a huge um, benefit to incumbency, and the, and the group think within each party, it's really hard to, to think of uh, or to incorporate really good or novel ideas because there's always this hedging toward the middle to keep the party base, to keep the like... And, and there's just built-in power structures that are really hard to navigate if it's the same two parties in control all the time. So I don't know. It seems like there, seem, there needs to be some sort of middle ground. I'm not sure if there is a need, and I'm not sure if there is a desire. On both sides of, uh, on both side of the, the, the political spectrum in the U.S., it seems there is a strong desire to have less uh, politics and less politicians and uh, that uh, charitable organization, individuals who have more freedom to make changes. So this duopoly uh, system, right, allows not to uh, do much, right? Not, you cannot really uh, uh, wreck, wreck the boat. And so that's uh, reduce the power of the politician uh, in favor of uh, the individuals, the corporation, or the uh, uh, NGOs. And it seems that that's a culture in the U.S. So that, that's why I don't, from, from an outsider, I don't see how it could happen. I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I would be interested to have your, your point of view, but it, it seems hard to, I'm not even sure the majority of people want to change. Yeah, it does seem very difficult for something. And I think that people have gotten so stubborn and backed into their respective corners that it seems less likely nowadays for there to be some sort of third-party candidate that can get a lot of votes because those candidates used to seem to be in the middle of this, you know, um, fiscally responsible Democrat and conservative that believes in social, uh, somewhat progressive social ideas, but is more interested in the fiscal side of things. So that seems to just be completely... Yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is I do agree that it doesn't seem really possible in the U.S., but uh, it would be interesting maybe on another podcast or sometime to think about what what aspects of the European systems, I guess it's the parliamentary system is like the main difference in how our government is organized that allows for multiple parties in. Well, I, I think uh, Rimi's right. I think that the two-party system is a good thing. I think it does moderate moderate politics. It makes, it forces consensus. And I think that in spite of Trump or populism or whatever, the the two party system I actually think had a positive impact on the wave of populism. I think it it really inhibited a lot of extremes on both sides, from the uh, you know extreme left to the extreme right. And I think it um, we don't see that because it's sort of what we're used to. But I, I do think that the two party system forces you know internal coalitions within the parties. You know, and if you think at France, you have the Front National, the extreme right, you have the, you know, Lutte uh, Ouvrière or whatever, Arlette Laguerre, I forgot her name, you know, the very hard left Trotskyist tradition. The French Communist Party was very powerful. You don't have that in the U.S. You do have extremes, but they're kind of tamed by the duopoly. And I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing. You don't like how hardcore France is? France is definitely hardcore. We're softcore. We're like Puritan softcore. That's always how I describe you, Seth. Puritan softcore individual. 
the, the poster child uh, of the, the weakness of the parliamentary system is really Italy, um, where you have uh, too much uh, democracy and uh, an ability really to 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 make a decision, to to move ahead, uh, and it's just too too detrimental. So that's something to be to be conscious about. Please submit any questions. We always try to work them in. Stay safe.